0: 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedural novels and normally now I'd tell you that there were 55 books in the series but actually it's 55 books and three short stories all of which turn up in rather unexpected places. So this very mini mini episode is all about a story that comes between romance the last book we looked at on the podcast and Nocturne the book that we're going to be doing next. So this is story 47.5 in the sequence, if you like. My name's Paul Abbott, and it's just me here to tell you all about Reruns, published exclusively in TV Guide magazine for the week of 11th to the 17th of January 1997. So you might have seen on our social media my little video about receiving my copy of TV Guide. I finally... Found a copy on eBay that wasn't too expensive to get sent over from America, costs being rather bonkers for things coming across the Atlantic at the moment. But I was very pleased to get my copy of TV Guide because it meant that I completed my collection of the 87th Precinct stories. So I'd never seen one of these before. In In the UK, our TV guides tend to be slightly bigger. I don't know if this is across <laughs> across the board in the States that they're all this little sort of, almost, well, almost like the size of the pulps, tiny little thing but it's, for, it's bright green. It's got Dilbert on the front, which makes it very 90s indeed. Uh, it's still got all its coupons inside it. Lots of coupons for things like uh, CD Headquarters. Choose 10 CDs for the price of one. What else have we got in here? We've got so, savings certificates. We've got... What's that there? An advert for North and South through Time Life. All sorts of things in here. In fact... Even the television crossword hasn't been done. So if you can work out what the missing word is from the phrase something fall guy, three letters, <laughs> you know, it's a tricky one. But if you can't work out that the, the missing word from the phrase something fall guy is the, then you can call 1-900-TV-GUIDE at 99 cents a minute to get a clue. <laughs> so there you go. But the important thing here is that McBain wrote an exclusive 87th Precinct story for this book, for this issue of the guide. And the reason for that is because this is the week that the adaptation of Heat comes on TV. So it's Ed McBain's 87th Precinct, Heat Wave, as they've renamed it. And that appeared on the the Sunday night at, what time is it? I have to fold the thing back, 8 p.m.? The heat is on precinct detectives to catch a serial rapist who's targeting his previous victims. Based on characters created by author Ed McBain, brackets Evan Hunter. I'm not entirely sure why they needed to say that it was Evan Hunter there, really. It strikes me as odd when you're talking about the 87th precinct that you'd need to use his his real name. And then the cast that's listed here is uh, Detective Steve Carella, played by Dale Midkiff. Detective Eileen Burke, who's Erica Eleniak. Detective Burt Kling, which was Paul Johansson, Detective Meyer, Paul Ben Victor, and Lieutenant Burns, Michael Gross. And we've talked about these a little bit before. I have watched it. It is dreadful. Heatwave will return in a moment on NBC. The important thing is that exists, so McBain is persuaded to write a little short story that features in here, and it's on a full-colour spread over one, two, three, four... Yeah, four pages... And it's, it's tagged with the opening, Ed McBain has been chronicling the exploits of the cops of the fictional 87th Precinct since 1956. 45 novels later, detectives Carella, Meyer and the rest of the squad are still going strong, both in a new NBC movie, Heatwave, and in this short story written exclusively for TV Guide. Nice photo of him in there, looking quite moody in a big coat. That's always nice. The story's almost so short I could read it out, but I'm not going to. But I'll give you the gist of it. I have a feeling that essentially what's happened here is that McBain hasn't quite, from romance, worked out all his feelings about actors because the, the main character in this story, other than Maya Meyer and Steve Carella, is David Haskins, who is a bit part TV actor, you know, just turns up. So in this story, he's someone who's like, well, will I have seen you in anything, says Maya. And he says, oh, I was in a, a car advert. I'm the guy who comes in the showroom and kicks the tires. They've arrived at his, his apartment because he's been burglarised and everything has been stolen. Everything of value has been stolen except his TV, which obviously is a strange thing because that's quite a valuable item. And so this sets Meyer and Corella off on a little trail around the pawnbrokers in the local area, all of whom have started to receive things from this, this burglary. So one pawnbroker is sold something by a sixty-five year old man who's bald and with a mustache and glasses. Another pawnbroker has been sold something by a Puerto Rican who's got a little thin black moustache with sideburns and an accent. Another pawnbroker's been sold something by a fat bearded man. And another pawnbroker has been sold something from the apartment by a woman in her mid thirties. And it's up to Maya and Corella in their four pages they've got for this investigation to explore and work out what's happened. I mean, you you can probably almost work it out from what I've said there. I'm not going to set, state it, obviously. But c- clearly, uh, McBain's still got some stuff to say about actors and actors' behaviour. And yeah, I mean, if I say that the day and what happens at the uh, Actors' Equity Building on the Stem, Stemler Avenue, which is the Isola equivalent of the Actors' Equity Association, which is just off Times Square at the end of, at Broadway... Yeah, he's sticking the boot in a little bit again <laughs> about people working in television and acting, which is funny because as we know, he's obsessed with trying to make screenplays work to get stuff on the stage. And he himself had done some amateur acting in his earlier years and during his first marriage and before then as well. So, yeah, he's but clearly frustrated. I think the important thing to remember here and why this is worth talking about a little bit of, is that 1996 doesn't officially see a 87th Precinct story. Obviously, what is happening is some health issue things that come along, and I'll talk about them in the next podcast proper that we do. But he does manage to obviously get going with Nocturne, which comes out later in 97, and this, which comes out at the very start of 97. So he's not totally idle with this, and the characters haven't been... Uh, you know, put on the shelf while he's he's recovering from what's happening to him. Story takes place in the middle of January. So you could assume it's basically taking place at the time it's been released. Although, as we know, the, the dating and timing of 87th Precinct stories is difficult to work out. It doesn't really tally to exactly the year that they're released in at all by any means. But it does fit neatly anyway between romance happening two weeks before Easter then we have reruns happening the following January, and then Nocturne, which actually starts on a book date, of the 20th January, the book starts on, on, on that date. Obviously more about that in the main podcast coming up soon. So anyway, it's an absolute joy to have that little story. It's It's got a few classic McBain touches in there. It's really worthwhile hunting out if you can get it, especially if you don't have to pay to have it shipped across the Atlantic. Anyway, and yeah, no collection complete without it. It's a shame you can't actually get it in the back of a... Uh, you know, one of the reissues of one of the actual books, it would be a brilliant little bonus feature that they could do. But I'm sure, I don't know, Mr. TV Guide has got it sat in a vault somewhere. Who knows what the copyright is on that? Look it up anyway. So before I finish, I did actually want to take this time to answer a question that's been sent in from a listener. One of our listeners, Chris Stewart, hi Chris, has been in touch with me through the email, hark87podcast at gmail.com. And it's always nice to hear from listeners and you can if you don't want to talk to us on Twitter or Facebook if you're not into any of those things, then you can find us at hark eighty seven podcast at gmail com. So do drop us a line. So it's nice to hear from Chris. But he did ask a question. I think we've touched on only in a, a, a tiny way here and there really. But it is a question that McBain himself got asked quite a lot and people discussed because it's kind to do kind of to do with the reality of what is sometimes seen as Uh, being quite a a mystical and mythical art, the act of creation, of writing these things. So Chris's question is, do you know what McBain's writing process was in general? I mean, physically as much as mentally, a writing room or a time of day to write, just curious. Well, a lot of people are, which is why I was able to piece together a few bits from here and there. In many ways, it's quite a simple answer. He had a habit, he had a routine, and he stuck to it and it barely changed over the entirety of his writing life. But I found a few little bits from interviews over the years just to sort of illustrate it. So, I mean, he originally obviously started out on typewriter, but by the time we get into the 90s, for instance, he's working on an Apple IIe computer. I don't know what he ended up working on, presumably some form of PC or Mac or something like that. But, yeah, typewriter then eventually upgrades to an Apple IIe so the Washington Post in 1990, he says, this is a quote from him directly, I word juggle from 8.30 or 9.30 until I stop for a half hour to eat my apple with Mary Van, his then wife, and then I'm back at work until 4.30 to 6.30. I try to do about 10 pages a day. And that's essentially the pattern. Um, he's also he's doing this 9 to 5, more or less, and he's doing it five days a week. So he's turned it into a job, and that was his way of, of of doing this stuff. So in the Hartford Courant from the 17th of February, 1992, probably Hartford Courant, probably to pronounce it correctly, making me sound too posh. He does say five days a week, Hunter, quote, goes to work from about 10am until 5 or 6pm at the computer in his office, which is an architecturally intriguing studio, just a few dozen feet from his house. Well, That's something there about this the physicality of this. He did always have somewhere he'd go to to work. So he didn't basically get up and go and sit at a desk in his bedroom or his lounge or anything like that. Even if it was just a separation of a few feet down the garden, he'd always have somewhere to go to do his writing. So he made it into a habit. He made it into, like, going to work. And he had his office, which, from the few pictures I've seen of it, it's got uh, replicas of book covers on the walls and things like that but he did use the walls to keep track of things. He'd tack stuff up on the walls to help him work out his plan for things and remind him about stuff. Again, another interview from 1995. This is with our friend Bill Slocum. He was telling him, I get up at 7, I exercise, breakfast, shower and shave, and then I get to work about 9.30, I guess. Then I work until about 5.30, 6 o'clock. And he says he tries to work out a sort of quota system for how much he's going to write. Like I said, we said earlier, about 10 pages a day. Yeah, his, his quota system is, is designed to try and build into it the time he has to spend doing interviews or, or doing admin and phone calls and all those sorts of things as well. The Washington Post in 1996 describes him as highly disciplined. He writes 40 pages a week, which just about tallies on there. And then, as we know, the 90s sees him ill quite a lot of the time and he's undergoing a lot of medical treatment. And I suspect if he'd have had any job other than being a writer... He might not have been able to sort of maintain this pattern, but he more or less does maintain this pattern because he's asked on an Illinois NPR radio show in 2001 what his working pattern is. And he says, well, I'll start working between 9 and 10 until 6 or 7 at night with a lunch break. So it's not changed much. So, like I say, quite a simple thing. But, of course, when people are asking him about this stuff, he you find some interesting tidbits from there. There was an article called dig in and get it done. No-nonsense advice from a prolific author, aka Ed McBain, on starting and finishing your novel by Evan Hunter. This is in some journal somewhere. I've just got a few points highlighted in here. He says, set yourself a definite goal each day. Tack it on the wall. Ten pages? Five pages? Two pages? Two paragraphs? It doesn't matter. Set the goal, make it realistic and meet it. At the end of each week on your calendar, jot down the number of pages you've already written. Don't stop writing. It's easier to go fishing or skiing, but sit at that damn typewriter and look at the full walls all day long if you have to. There is nothing more boring than looking at walls. Eventually, if only to relieve the boredom, and because you've made a deal with yourself not to get out of that chair, you'll start writing again. At the end of the day, read over what you've written. If you think it's lousy, don't throw it away. Read it again in the morning. If it still looks lousy, do it over again. So I assume this is all drawn entirely from his own experience because then again, he gives an interview in, oh, that was from 2005, by the way. So this is not long before he he passes away. But in 2002, he gave an interview to a college paper, the Felix Imperial College paper. He did tons of promotional work for Money, 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 which is what I assume this is from. But they ask him, are you still as enthusiastic about writing today as you were when you started 50 years ago? And he says, oh, I love it. I'm trying to think why I feel so good in the morning when I'm starting work. For me, there's a problem to solve every morning and also a challenge for the day ahead. Each morning, I reread what I did the night before and I make a hard copy before I put the computer to sleep at night. It's always invigorating when you sit down at the computer and finish a scene or you stumble on something that triggers an idea for the next chapter. It is really very exciting work. Yeah, there's there's more articles which cover much the same ground. So, that, But there you basically have the writing habits of McBain: five days a week, essentially nine to five, with a little break in the middle to have his have his sandwich or his apple, whatever it is he had. And uh, yeah, lots of planning, lots of agreements with himself about how he was going to get stuff done. He was, you know, this is a guy who was very disciplined, and remember, he was getting paid a half cent on the word originally, and so. Th- you had to set himself targets. I'm going to get this much stuff written. If I write this much, I will earn that much. And he's sort of set the basis for his working pattern over the years to come there in, in that sort of idea. The idea that if he didn't write something, he wasn't going to get paid. And this carries through to even when he's always going to get paid, essentially. He's made his money. So I hope that helps Chris and is some way towards answering your question. It is interesting because we do think of it as as being a bit magical and mystical and I'm sure for some people they write nothing for days and then spend a whole day writing into the the wee wee hours of the morning. The empty hours of the morning, in fact. For McBain, he did it as a job and he loved it. And we love the results of it, which is why we're here talking about it now. So that's all for me for this little mini episode. It won't be very long before we get on to Nocturne. I just wanted to put this out there so Rerun's got its own special little place in the listing of the podcast. And if you have got any questions, you know where you can find us. You can find us at hark7 podcast everywhere and at gmail. com as well. So until uh, we all talk to you again soon, fairly well.